Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome. Most of you are finding your seats. Happy Father's Day. Uh, we are so grateful for fathers in this house. We are grateful for um, our Heavenly Father as well. He is perfect in all of His ways. He's perfect in all His ways towards us. And um, this morning, there is just a sense for us as we were praying that we actually are coming to a time to just to receive from Him. We've got some things planned for this morning. And, um, but as you've seen, we have got Father's Day donuts. You know, at the back, we've got coffee over outside in the foyer. So we just want you as fathers to know how deeply loved you are. And we celebrate you. And just want to give a shout out to Sean and Mary because they are the ones who brought the donuts. And um, so we are just grateful for y'all. And um, just welcome, welcome sweet Esther Rose. Um, we love and adore her already. So, um, so this morning I just want to open a scripture for us. It's found in Romans 8.15. It says this. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. There's the nearness and the closeness of our Heavenly Father this morning. And He wants to love on you. He wants to, by His Spirit, make His fatherhood real to you. He doesn't want you in a place of a spirit of bondage of fear this morning, but in a place of liberty and freedom, knowing that you are deeply loved and that you are His delight. So will you stand with me this morning if you're able? We want to pray and we want to worship. And we want to welcome the beautiful Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of truth. He is the one and comes and validates and stamps our hearts with knowing that we are beloved sons and daughters. That we have the Spirit of adoption by the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, this morning... We welcome you. We welcome you to just move in our hearts. Lord, just this morning, Holy Spirit, come and just stamp on us again how deeply loved we are, how delighted you are in us, how you've removed every shame and every failure, and you have stamped us with glory Lord, we worship you and we honor you this morning. And we just say our hearts are here to receive your spirit of adoption that just draws us closer and closer and closer. Lord, we love you. And that response is because you first loved us. God, we cannot get away from your love that has been settled and complete and full in Jesus, your son. Reveal to us your fatherhood this morning. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship y'all.
morning and just our time of praying um, we had some words and some prophetic pictures and we just want to share them and we want to release them over you as a body and it's really just a declaration of the father's heart for you this morning so I'm going to ask David and Galen to come and share that yeah this this morning I just had a, a, a picture and it, um, it was just, you know, whenever I go to my parents' house and we just have a visit or whatever, whenever we leave, my parents always kind of come out to that, that side door and just kind of wave and watch us as we drive off and everything. And I, I saw that same picture, but it was, it was God standing on, on that, that front porch. And he kind of just kind of uh, just said this over, over me. I don't want to make sure I, I read it word for word. But he said, it's never too late. I've got all the time in the world. And you're never too broken because I've got everything that you need. And you are always welcome because I could spend all eternity 
telling you I love you. So we just feel like this this morning, I just get a sense that this is just a, an invitation just to just receive that, that love, that just that, the heart of the Father over us this morning. I also had a picture um, as a father. Of course, Heavenly Father is what I was thinking. The baby in his arms is lifted up in the smile of pride. It's looking at this child with all the love so proud of who they are and that that's how the father sees you he holds you up and he says that's my child so this morning as we go back into this song can you just let shame and failure fall off of you can you receive this goodness from the father's heart and let it wash over you that you are his delight He sings over you. He adores you. And there is such a pride in the Father's eyes for you. You are his beautiful creation, his beloved. So this morning, let this song sink in and let it minister to you and just receive. That's what this morning is. It's receiving the spirit of adoption so you can cry out, Abba, Father, the nearness and the closeness of God. So let's worship together, y'all. Sing prodigals. Prodigals come home. The helpless find home. Love is on the move when the father's in the room. Hey! Prison doors fling wide. Come on! The day come to
to go to the next song. One of the other things that um, that came out and came forth in our prayer time was what you're feeling right now. Some of us are even doing this. It's God's love towards us. He placed in us from eternity the Father, the hunger for a Father to be protected, to be guided, to be called by his name. You feel this, and we know this because he placed it in us. Let's respond to the Father's draw. We breathe you in, and we breathe you out. We receive your love over us. You would heal us, and you call us by name. We walk in that authority. We walk in that power. And we want nothing else but that power and that love that will guide us, direct us, and keep us safe. We're the fathers, and he is ours.
as we were worshiping, I saw the congregation with our hands outstretched to the Lord. And I just saw a blanket of gold over the entire congregation. And I just feel like as all it takes is we just believe for these miracles. Nothing else, nothing we do. And uh, as God's children, we have access to that inheritance today. Jesus took those stripes on the cross for us to walk in wholeness today. Not wait until we go to heaven, but today. And I just saw that blanket of gold over every single one of us here. So we're going to administrate that this a little bit this morning. Will you raise your hands? Will you stretch out and receive? Be in a posture of receiving, a posture of welcoming, a posture of surrender. Receiving and welcoming every good gift, the Bible says, comes from the Father of light in whom there is no shadow of turning. So this morning, we're going to just go for the gold. And it's His goodness, it's His presence, it's His glory. We just received that this morning.
I just want to share something real quick. I have a, a memory of my dad. My dad's still, he's still around. He lives up in the Appalachian Mountains. I tell stories about him all the time. Um, but he's one of the kindest men I've ever met. Um, he's a believer. He loves the Lord. And uh, he'll call me every once in a while, and I'll say, hey, you know, I'll be busy doing stuff. And he'll go, hey, I just want to call you and tell you I love you. I'm like, okay. And then it gets super awkward. <laughs> he goes, I love you. And I'm like, yeah, you said <laughs> And so here's what I'm sensing right now. Um, if you've been in church much, you know that we have a plan. Uh, we have a program. We have all those things on Sunday morning. But um, I don't care about that. And I don't think God cares about that. I think it's a good thing to have a default setting. But I think if you're not careful, what happens is you get in the mode of things just need to keep moving. And we never move past awkward. Right? And so I remember showing up to see my dad one time. And uh, I knocked on the door and I didn't hear him. Um, but the door was open, so I went in. And when I went in, I could smell something cooking. And he was down in the basement. They'd made like a little basement apartment. He was down in the basement. And I, I yelled out for him. And he said, I'm down here. And the closer I got, the more I could smell um, he was cooking bologna. And he was making bologna sandwiches. Now, I don't know how southern you are, but if you've never had a bologna sandwich, a, a fried bologna sandwich, yeah, not a grilled one. We don't want any of that. I pray for you. So as I walked in there, um, he just turned around and just said, you want a bologna sandwich? And I said, I did, didn't know I needed a bologna sandwich until right now, but I do. And so we had a bologna sandwich. And it was one of the sweetest moments I've ever had with my dad. Um, and part of the reason why is there was zero agenda. Like I'd come up to see him, and I kind of thought about, you know, some things we might talk about, that kind of stuff. So I kind of sort of had an agenda in my head, and he, he had zero agenda. <laughs> part of that's the Appalachian Mountains, let's be honest. But the other part of that is he just loves me so deeply that he really, really doesn't need an agenda. And the sense I have right now is, you know, as we kind of get to this place, our team, we, we, we talk with our team all the time about creating space for the move of God, for God to touch us and, and minister to us. And often he does that through ministry, and I'm going to be talking about that in my message a little bit, through ministry of one another to one another, and that's beautiful, and we, we're open to that. But, but every once in a while, and I think maybe more often than we realize, he just wants to love you deeply like he really just wants to have a bologna sandwich with you <laughs> and, and I feel like that's the moment we're in right now we got, we got plenty to do I know the guy who's preaching so I'll you know he'll only preach an hour and a half this morning so we'll shorten it you know it'll be fine but we just want to take some time right now and just let these guys play they don't have an agenda right now you know we're we're we know what's next we're not in a hurry I'm just going to create some space and I would love for you guys we heard this morning one of the things we talked about in our prayer time was just to receive. So what does that look like? Can I, get, can I tell you one, one thing that looks like is stop talking. Right? Just stop talking. Stop telling God what, how amazing He is. Nine times out of ten, that's, that's the right thing to do. But this morning, it's not. Just take a moment. Take, take a few minutes this morning before we transition into the next thing we do. And I just want you to just relax for a second. Just imagine yourself. I've been on that long journey driving up to Kentucky, and I didn't even know I needed a bologna sandwich. And I have a sense this morning that a bunch of you guys don't even know you need this bologna sandwich you're about to get. And so I would just really invite you to say, take, take a little time, and let's just wait on the, on the Spirit of God. 
don't, don't feel like you need to do anything. If you have a word or something, you're welcome to come up and share that with the, with the team that's overseeing the service, my wife and I. Um, and that's fine. But, but better, just wait and see what he says to you and see how he loves you this morning. Re- let, him, let him do something for you and just receive. So Holy Spirit, Lord, you are always welcome. Or we see in Scripture that Jesus, you said you came to reveal the Father to us. And then, Holy Spirit, you came to reveal Jesus, revealing the Father to us. So you're always, always, always revealing a Father's love. It's deeper than we know, sweeter than we know. So, God, we just open our hearts right now. And we just want to take a few moments as the worship team just plays. Lord, would you just love us? Love us deeply. We want to receive from you this morning. So just take a few moments and let him do that.
Lord, just thank you for your sweet presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are peace. Thank you that you are peace in circumstances that should be overwhelming us, but you are an internal world. You're an internal peace in our internal world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence, God. We love you. We adore you. Lord, thank you that you smile upon us. You've smiled upon us in your great love and your great grace. Yeah, Lord, we are expectant of what you will do in our midst, Lord. What you will do in us and among us, Lord. God, we linger in your presence. We linger in your presence, Lord, because it's what we live for. the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Every knee will bow before you. Oh, but Lord, we choose to love you deeply this morning. Lord, we're not happy with just jumping in at our ankles, Lord, or even knee deep or waist deep. But Lord, we want to jump fully in into your presence until we are just overwhelmed just overwhelmed and overtaken by your glory because in your glory in your glory God is just your goodness mm. yeah Lord we worship you about y'all, but um, I, um, I know what David says about his dad is true. He is the kindest man I've ever known, and um, I've known him for most of my life, and um, he is a papa. Um, if you are new with us this morning, we would love to get to know you and know a little bit about your story, how you came across DCF. And we can tell you a little about, about us and how um, our story maybe connects with yours. And so we'd love to get to know you. We'll have um, some coffee after service if you want to take a few minutes and just and come and meet some of the leaders or even at the back there. Um, happy Father's Day to those of you who maybe did not hear that first thing this morning. Uh, we love fathers in this house. And be sure to check out all the connections on our website we want to mention a, a couple of them. This weekend, we are going to be, well, actually today, we're doing a pool at the Mitchells, weather permitting, but you're welcome to join us, and details are on the website. If you need information, you can ask Diane up here at the front. Um, this Saturday, we are doing um, Sawyer's Adventures. Travis and Marcy are leading us to Blue Springs. There's kayaking. There's a family park. There's the, you know, um, there's the slide. There's the springs. There's the little beach area. So, it's just a family day for DCF to get together to hang out and connect and enjoy being together. So um, pack your bags, check out all the details on the website. Um, too many to go into. And then on the 30th is going to be Freedom Fest out at Fort Novacell, out at the base. 
And so um, we just want to make sure you know, if you're planning to go to that, you can register online or you can go and get a pass at the gate. But you don't want to do it the day of. You want to go and get that beforehand. So we just want to put that out. I know David and I are going. There's some other people that are planning to go. And so we just take it's a picnic on the grounds kind of out there. So just check out all the details on the website. Um, and just generous giving in this house. We're so thankful for that. In person is in the box up front. And mostly we just prefer giving online. That's available on, at DothanCF.com. We are going to dismiss our kids and our youth this morning. And um, Dave's going to be right back with just a message. All right. Good morning, everybody. We are continuing a series uh, started five weeks ago. This is the fifth in the series. And so if you've been following that, uh, we've been talking about what it means to be empowered, life in the Spirit. And today we're going to be talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit. So there's a bunch of scriptures we're going to go after this morning to talk about that. But when we start, what, uh, start with the scripture that I've started with every time. This is John 16, 7. And so this is one of the most controversial statements Jesus ever made, right? And that's saying something because he made a lot of those. This is what it says. It says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And, of course, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so one of the challenges I've been making is I started the series out with if, if you had two doors and the first door was you get to be with Jesus for three years. We, you just, you know, wave a magic wand. He comes through that door and then you could spend the next three years with him personally. Like you'd walk with him, you'd see him do the miracles, you'd do all that. Or you could have door number two and door number two would be you get to walk in the spirit. The life, have the life of the spirit. Which one would you choose? And if you're like me, probably you would choose door number one, wouldn't you? Because, like, I mean, just imagine what that is like. And we talked about that. But Jesus is saying that door number one, as awesome as that was for his disciples, it doesn't hold a candle to what's going to happen when the Spirit of God would come and live inside of us and then move in us and through us. And so if Jesus thought that that was such an amazing thing, then maybe we should lean into that and say, Lord, if I don't understand or appreciate the value of your spirit, I want to learn more. I want to I dig in. I want to get to know more of who you are in your spirit and how you want me to do this. And so what does it mean to walk in the spirit? So first of all, it's a journey. That's why it doesn't call it an event in the spirit. Right? It's a walk. It's something that you're on a journey and you start and you're continuing to go. And that's going to be really helpful because if you don't think of it that way, then what will happen is you'll, you'll always feel like a failure. And so I, I preached this last Wednesday of all times. I preached on a Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. I, I think I preached one time at a men's breakfast that was a little bit earlier, maybe at 7. But it's weird preaching at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, have, have you guys had your coffee? Let's make sure they get their coffee before I start, right? But I, I preached out of a scripture called uh, in Hebrews 4.16. The, the name of the message was the throne of grace. And so here's that scripture I preached on uh, that morning. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so part of what I was going at was is most of us don't understand this scripture because this scripture is about a journey, not an event. So we, we all know that you, you can't get saved um, without grace. We get it. It's God's, it's God's unmerited kindness to us. We didn't earn it. We get all that. If we've been around church for a while, we know that. 
But what happens so often is we get saved and we have this encounter with God's spirit. He comes, lives inside of us. We get a new nature, a new heart. And then from there, there on, we, need, we stop living in the same way that we were born again. And we try to go back and live naturally. So we stop living in the supernatural and the spiritual, even though it's the only way you can get saved. Right? Is to have a supernatural thing happen to you where you changed on the inside. And then we move back into trying to live naturally. And so, in that context, Paul writes to a church who'd gotten caught up in this. They were born of the Spirit, the Bible talks about. We've said, you know, as we've been preaching in this series, what does it mean to be born again? You were born of the, of the water, and now you're born of the Spirit. So you're born naturally. We just celebrated this baby. It was born naturally not too long ago. But the prayer is, and the blessing over him, is at some point in his life, he has an encounter with God, and he has a second birth. Born naturally of water, born in the spirit, born supernaturally in the spirit. And so Galatians 5, 16, he's been talking to them and he challenged them. He says, who, who has seduced you? Who has, who has led you astray? Who has, who has made you fall into foolishness is literally what he said. You, you foolish Galatians, who has, who has brought you? How did you get mixed up in this? It was just such an incredulous thing. And so in Galatians 5, he starts talking about, this, this is what you did wrong. Here's how to get back into it and get it right. So this is Galatians 5, 16 and 17. So Paul, uh, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So they were battling their, what they would call their old natures. Like, you know, uh, my Bible school professor said, Your nature is never so dead that he can't be re- resurrected. Which sounds really spiritual, except for it's not at all biblical. And that was my Bible school teacher saying that, right? So the church gets caught up in these mindsets that are completely unscriptural. And so this is what happened to the the Galatians. They'd given their life to Jesus. They began to operate and move in the things of the Spirit. They were supernaturally um, connected to God. They were walking in the Spirit. And then they started turning away from that and beginning to walk after the natural because these men, they called them Judaizers, came in and said, "Jesus, it wasn't just Jesus plus nothing. It was Jesus, but also you have to get circumcised. It was Jesus, but you also have to follow, follow the law. It was Jesus, but you also have to go to church. And he just lists all these Jesus plus these things. And Paul's message in Galatians is Jesus plus nothing. Right? So what does Jesus plus nothing mean? look like. And it looks like what he says here. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you try to battle the, 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 the sinful world and, and the old ways of thinking, if you try to battle that in the natural, what he goes after is he says, you're coming back underneath the law. You're going from what the law is designed to teach you, right? That you had a need for a savior. In other words, here's what you ought to do. Now you go do it and let's see how it works out for you. And the answer is you can't. Maybe you do better than your neighbor. Maybe he does better than you. But nobody lives up to the standard. And that is the point of the law. Not to save you. Paul goes after this in numerous places. The law can never save you. But it can show you your need for salvation. And then it makes you look for a Savior. And then the Savior is presented in the gospel. And you receive the Savior. You know, it's by grace, through faith. We believe in what Jesus did on our behalf. And then we become a believer. That is a birth into the supernatural. And that birth is supposed to grow. You're supposed to grow up now and become a mature son or daughter 
in the spirit, in the supernatural, not in the natural. But the danger is, if we're not careful, we listen to all these lies and all these philosophies, and we come away from the things of the spirit and back into, I can do itself, right? I don't need anybody's help. I don't need God's help. I got this on my own. Do you got this, though? (laughs) Anybody who's honest knows that you don't. He goes on. He says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary. So the flesh and the spirit, the natural man and the spirit man are contrary. They are opposite. You, you, you have to pick one. That's why when I say, you know, people have used the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You have to pick one. Why? Because they are contrary. They are opposite. You can't be both of those things. You can walk in the flesh even though you're born in the spirit. And I'm going to go into that next week in a, in a, in a, in a bigger way and help, help understand that. But here's the context. He says, if you walk in the spirit, then what happens is by doing that, that's how you win against the flesh. So if you struggle against patterns of sin in your life, if you become a believer and then you're like, man, I, I can't shake this one particular thing that I'm, I keep falling back into, whether it's fear or whether it's pornography or whether it's, you know, I, I, have, I have the need for, for, uh, for somebody to tell me how amazing I am. I have no self-worth, so I, I constantly need other people to tell me about my value. Whatever your challenge is, the answer to that is to not fight it. The answer to that is to realize that someone else fought it and won and receive the victory, and then walk in it, right? So that's what scripture teaches. So they're contrary, they're opposite. So here's what happens. If you aren't intentional towards walking in the spirit, so in other words, if you don't lean into it, what happens is water follows the path of least resistance. You ever notice this? You want to find out whether your floor is level? Dump a pitcher of water on it. You'll, you'll find out where the water's going, right? In our backyard, we, water gathers up in this one particular part of the, the yard. I don't need to be an engineer to know that that's the low place in our yard, right? Because it follows the path of least resistance. It goes there every time. So this is talked about in, if you ever studied physics, or science at all in the second law of thermodynamics. So this is what it says in, in that law. If you have a system that is isolated, that system progresses in the direction of increasing disorder or entropy or chaos. So here's how I write that. Chaos reigns in the unintentional. So if you aren't intentional about the things of the Spirit, if you aren't intentional in your walk with the Lord, in your relationship with God, Chaos begins to take over. This is, I, I, I was curious. I'm like, I remember asking these questions when I was school. I was like, I hear all your words. <laughs> Could you simplify that for me? Because I don't understand exactly what you're talking about. And, and I remember the teacher saying, you can't unscramble an egg. And I was like, now I understand the second law of thermodynamics. You can't unscramble an egg. Because once that system begins to go down, the tendency is to follow the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance in a broken, fallen world is chaos, entropy, and disorder and sin. (laughs) Right? So what does that look like? Romans 8, 5, 8 kind of paints a picture. He says, those who live, so this is Paul again. This is, he's talking about how we walk in the Spirit. So this is all over the New Testament, right? Those who live according to the flesh, this is what that, hap- what, lo- what that looks like. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. That natural thing, what does the natural person desire? But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Remember we talked about the Spirit's not a force. He's not from Star Wars, right? He's not the disembodied spirit of Jesus. 
He is God, and he has a will, and he has desires, and if we don't submit ourselves to that, we're going to miss out. So he goes on. He says, the mind governed, in other words, limited or led, the mind governed by the flesh is what? It's death. So what happens? The Bible says when sin entered in, and and Adam in the book of Genesis, when sin entered in, what began to happen? Everything began to die. Remember what the, the, the devil tells Adam and Eve? He says, you know, God said, if you eat of this, you will surely die. And, and the devil goes, did God really say, is that really what he meant, though? I mean, come on. Because then they ate of it, and they didn't die, right? They lived on naturally, but the truth was they died spiritually, right? And so that's the picture. So you, you have, and we talked about what are the, you know, the three parts of man, the, the body, the soul, and the spirit. And the body and the soul are the natural part of us, right? It doesn't mean that when we come alive in the spirit as believers that we don't work in the body and work in the natural. Of course we do. The Bible says to tell your body to submit itself to the things of the spirit. Same with your mind, your will, and your emotions and your soul. It says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the, one, the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed, listen, by the flesh is hostile towards God. It's not neutral. Hear this. It is not neutral. That's why I talked about the law of entropy, about can't unscramble an egg. It is not neutral. If you do nothing, you don't stay neutral. It's kind of like, anybody ever drive a stick shift? I mean, none of you young people know, even know what I'm talking about. But if the worst thing you have to do is stop on a hill, right? Why? Because to, now to get it going again, you've got to work that transition between the clutch and the gas, and, right? Are you, and if you're not in the right gear or whatever, and you stall out, everybody behind you hates you forever, right? That's the sense you get. I'm still traumatized by that event in my life in the past. But if you do it well, then you, you transition and you begin to gear back up. But if you stop and do nothing and just let go of the brake, do you just stay there? No. The law of entropy, it begins to degenerate and goes back into chaos. And so he goes on. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. In other words, it is impossible if you live in the natural for you to fulfill the things of the Spirit. And then he finishes out in verse 8. Those who are in the realm of flesh of the flesh cannot please God. So imagine again, you have a spirit that's alive in, in Jesus. You're born again and you have now a new, a new spirit, a new nature, a new heart. You are alive in God. But if you buy into the lie that the natural is the only place, since you're living out your spiritual existence in this natural realm, then the natural is just kind of where it is. That's where you do most of your work. I have to get up. I have to go to work. I have to, you know, I have to do all these things. If you buy into the lie that you live that natural life in the natural, you are no different than a person whose spirit is dead. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying at all. So understand this. why I brought up the context, context about grace. You can come boldly before the throne of grace for help in time of need. Paul goes on and he says, at some point, though, we need to stop being babies as Christians. He said, by now you ought to be teachers, but I'm having to teach you again the fundamentals of the faith. What are the fundamentals of the faith? What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? And we're going to talk about how you can tell whether you're, as a believer, are you walking in the spirit or are you walking in the flesh? And and again, it's not condemnation that I'm trying to, to put on you. What I'm trying to do is just what Paul said. If you get this and understand it, you find yourself rescued. You can come boldly before a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, because it's a journey. 
You can come boldly and say, Lord, what's going on here? What's happening? But if you buy into the lie that you can't come before God because somehow when you sinned, he turned his face away from you, you are never going to walk in the things of the Spirit because you're never going to walk. You're just going to be stuck in, you know, I I sin and God turns his face away from me because that's what somebody said or it's what I feel, it's what I think. But it's not. It's you turning your face away from God. Right? It's simple. So how do you fix that? You turn your face back to God. I know this is deep. <laughs> right? <laughs> but grace is what makes this possible. And that's why it's so important to understand this. Because what then you allow for is you allow for you're probably going to screw it up. When you, have, when you had babies, when you had kids... And you looked at that cute little thing because their eyes are way too big for their head. Their little, you know, their head is way too big for their body. And it's the cuteness factor. That's how God gets you, right? You're like, oh, right? I won't kill it, right? <laughs> like, I love this baby. And it's like, it's driving me crazy. And they start growing up and the cuteness factor goes away. And if you haven't been bringing them into maturity at some point, when the cuteness factor goes away and they're also not, you know, walking in the things of God, they're not a pleasure to be around by any stretch of the imagination, right? But if your heart is for your child and you understand that, you say, you know what? They're going to grow out of this. So when you discipline them, do you say, you know what? You're worthless. You have no value. You're just like, right? Is that what you do? Or when you discipline, do you discipline the way the father does? And he says, the father says, that is not who you are. Why are you behaving that way? See the difference? One is discipling towards a person's identity. The other is discipling towards a person's behavior. It's saying that your behavior gets to define you. And God says that's not how it works in the kingdom, right? So let me unpack this a little bit. So he talks about being in, walking in accordance with the spirit or accordance with the flesh. What does it mean? It literally means in line with something or conforming to something. So if you are in line with the flesh or conforming to the flesh, here's a scripture that pushes that the other directions, Romans 12 too, I've read it before. This is in a New Living Translation, which is not a translation, it's a paraphrase. (laughs) I want to clear that up. Just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's true, right? It's a paraphrase. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Duh, right? But let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. So your identity, you're born again as a baby, and then the learning to think like God. Isn't it interesting? I, you know, there's a, one of my favorite com- uh, comedians. Is, um, he's Korean, but he grew up in, I think it's Knoxville, Tennessee. And it's weird when he talks because he has a deep southern accent, but his, everything about him looks Korean. And so there's this disconnect in my head. I'm like, that's wrong. And he jokes about how when he was a kid, he, you know, when they played cowboys and Indians, he was always the Indian. And so I just love this. You know, even his stories are all about this juxtaposition of how he was born and how he thinks and how his culture raised him as a southern man. He said when he went to Korea, he said it was the most awkward thing in the world because everybody assumed he was like them and he was nothing like them. And that's a picture in some ways of what it means to walk in the Spirit. You know, you're born into a new culture. You're born into a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things. Um, God says, I am altogether not like you. You can be like me, but I'm not like you. So we can grow. We can learn. We can walk in the Spirit. We can get more, we can get more understanding. We can learn God's character and His nature, and we can lean into that. We can believe what He says about us 
rather than believe what the world says about us. And so we grow in the things of the Spirit. He says, then you will learn, if you do this, God will transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. In other words, you will be, become very clear on what it means to, to, to please God. Why? Because you're, you're listening to him, you're connected to him, you're constantly in, in uh, ministry with him. So the other phrase he uses in there, he says, your heart or your mind is set on either the flesh or the, or the natural. Philippians 4.8 is a very interesting scripture. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So let me flip this around and put it in our culture. Whatever is on social media or the news or the stories you watch or the books you read or the songs you listen to, all of that is a culture trying to get you to identify with the natural. And God's saying, if you want to stop living that way, walk in the Spirit. Go listen to, listen to podcasts. Listen to worship music. Get in the presence of people who are positive, who love God and are, and are for Him and understand His character and His nature, who will challenge you and help you grow up. Be discipled, Right? Grow up in the things of God. This is the picture that God has given us. So whatever things are pure, all these things God's saying, if you'll set your mind on these things, you'll start becoming like them. Last week I said, whatever you focus on is what you become. You ever notice that? You ever find yourself just in a dark, dark place? How did you get there? Somebody just walk up and flip the lights off? Or was it a process? Right? And so the same thing, the process is thinking on these things. God begins to open up our minds in a different way. So I remember a, a physics question in school, and this was the question. It was kind of a trick question, but I'm going to ask. Maybe you guys know it, maybe you don't. If you had access to all the latest machinery in a sophisticated science lab, what would be the most effective way to get all the air out of a glass beaker? No expenses spared. Every piece of equipment you could ever want or, or need, all of the technology is available to you. What's the easiest way, what's the best way to get the air out of a glass beaker? Pour water in it. That's all you got to do. I remember thinking about this forever. I'm like, there, I, don't, I don't even know. <laughs> and when they told me, they're like, it can't be that simple. But here's why this is important. About 200 years ago, there was a, a, a Scottish theologian named Thomas Chalmers who wrote a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. If you get a chance, go read it. There, there's a modern language, because it's challenging to try to read in 200-year-old lingo. But if you read it in the modern language, it's amazing. And what, this is what he does. I'm going to just quote what he said. He, said. he starts out, he says, How shall the human heart, this is in the modern language, how shall the human heart be, f be freed from its love for the world? In other words, how do we get transformed, right? And so it's like, you know, the, old, the, the law says, thou shalt not. And so you're like, you know, um, I don't know if you know this, but murder's bad. You should probably stop murdering people, in case you guys are thinking about that, right? Speaking mostly to the married people, I'm just saying. <laughs> stop committing adultery, even though it's celebrated all over, right, our culture. It's like, you know, you can sleep around, and there's never any real problems that come from that until you sleep around, and then you realize there's a lot of problems that can come from that, right? So he goes after this, and he says, how do you do it? Do you just push back on it and say, you know, if I just realize how wrong it is, 
It's, that's how I get rid of it. This is what he says. There are two ways one might seek to remove the controlling affection from the heart. In other words, something that you're challenged with, you keep falling back into these patterns of sin. He says two ways. One is to show that the world is not worthy of our affection and will let us down in the end. So this is the argument that's like the best way to get the air out is to pump out the ox, you know, pump the oxygen out with one sophisticated equipment, right? This is the second way to get rid of the affection in your heart that's wrong. He says the other is to show that God is vastly more worthy of the heart's attachment, thus awakening a new stronger affection that displaces the former affection for the world. In other words, you take a glass beaker with sin in it and your affection, whatever that affection is, you want to get rid of it, you can rail against it, you can scream at it and you go, it shouldn't be, it's not right, you can do all those things. The the law says God doesn't like this, shame on you. You can go down that road and it's it's not going to change. All you have to do is displace it with something else that has your affection. Now here's what's interesting about that. God won't do that for you. He won't. One of the things we do all the time, God will you, and God's like, I did. <laughs> right? At what point as a parent do you go, um, buddy, you really should be going to the bathroom by yourself. I mean, for God's sake, you're 16 years old and you're driving. Now, we laugh, right? But if someone's 16 year old, years old and they can't go to the bathroom by themselves, there is something medically wrong with that person, right? We get that intuitively. Now, we can decide and talk about what that moment is, what year <laughs> is the appropriate time. Some are going to have a big mercy gift and allow longer. Some others are going to like, you're just going to have, you're going to change. You're going to walk around. Your, I'm not <laughs> but you have to learn the things of the Spirit. They do not come naturally. That's why the Bible says the natural man can't know them. You have, to, you have to learn them. You have to discover them. You have to walk in them. It's a journey. You have to leave where you are to go somewhere else, or you're never going to learn about the, the somewhere else. I've seen some amazing things in my travels, but I never would have saw, saw those things if I never left Birmingham, Alabama, right? It's where I grew up. So I'm going to just give you three areas of how you can walk in the Spirit. This is a good way to test yourself. Am I walking in the Spirit? And if not, how can I begin to do this if I'm not? So the first one's simple, and it's this. Yield to the Spirit's promptings. As a believer, what you've done is you submitted yourself to the will of another, right? I serve at the pleasure of the king. Some of you guys are like, you know, Dave, I hope you never leave and, you know, you stay here and you retire, you know, because you're just an amazing pastor. Well, that's my wife. But some of you others are like, <laughs> you know, I don't know, Dave, maybe it's time. No, nobody said that. <laughs> but the point is, it doesn't matter what you think. I don't care about your opinion. I don't care about mine. I'm not leaving here till God says, Dave, you can leave. So you want to try to run me off? Good luck with that. I might get mad. You might hurt my feelings. All that. But until God says I'm free, I will die on that hill. Right? It's just a given. And, and that should be your life as well. It's like, you know, I'm going to leave this one horse town and I'm going to go to a 10 horse town because there's more horses. Right? That's small town mentality because I've lived in big cities and I've lived in small, small towns. And there's wonderful things about both of those. It has nothing to do. It turns out that the problem is you because you take you everywhere you go. Again, Deeply profound, I get it. But the challenge isn't the external world. The challenge is the internal. So what happens is a person who submits to God, it's a choice you make. So here's what's interesting is you can be born again, have this incredible encounter with God, and then become a 
carnal Christian, a fleshly Christian. You can walk in the flesh and, and fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can look like the world even though technically you're saved. Now, what kind of life is that? It's, it's a life with no peace uh, in so many ways. Um, it, it's death. It's death to relationships. It's death to, to promises of God, death to the inheritance that Jesus has for you from the cross. It's just a terrible way to live, but some people choose to do it. So, how does God do this? How does, he, how does he prompt you? Look at John 16, 13. This is Jesus talking about the Spirit. He said, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak, and he will tell you things to come. And listen to verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what the Holy Spirit will do, he'll talk to you about Jesus. He'll talk to you about your relationship with the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. He will take you back and remind you over and over and over again that you belong to God. And that by submitting to God, that's the best possible outcome for your life. Maybe you suffer persecution in this world, but it'll be persecution with the peace of God full in your heart. Maybe the enemy will come against you because you live in a value system that's all kinds of broken. But the internal, the thing that's inside of you, will be so much greater than the thing that's outside of you. So the Holy Spirit reminds you of Scripture or a spiritual truth that you've learned before. A, a way to think of it is the Spirit will upload to you what you have downloaded by reading Scripture. He will come in and remind you. This happens to me all the time when we're counseling somebody, we're praying for somebody. I, 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 I get pictures and I see things. You know, we talk about the things of the Spirit, one way that it happens. But what's fascinating about it is what God's trying to get you to do is begin to think more and more like Him because you do, as a believer, have the mind of Christ. You may not be using it, but you have the mind of Christ. And so the more you can learn Scripture, learn the character and nature of God, what happens is when you face a challenge or you face a, 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 a potential issue, what happens is God reminds you of who you are. He reminds you of your identity. How does he do that? He reminds you of Scripture, right? He goes back and these Scriptures begin to pop into your head. And, or something someone said, like the, the, the phrase I use all the time, that might be what you did, but that is not who you are. Why? Because we disciple to your identity, not your behavior. So that's a spiritual truth that the Bible teaches that will come back to your remembrance. So um, another thing he can do is he can give new direction. This is, let me just give you a couple of biblical examples. So he can prompt you on these things on the inside and you have to decide what you're gonna do with it. So it can be things like, maybe God wants you to forgive somebody. Maybe he wants you to go talk to somebody that you've, that you've you know, you sworn off this relationship. You're like, they're just a challenge and I'm having, I have healthy boundaries. And then the Holy Spirit begins to talk to you. Say, I want you to rekindle that relationship and love them well. You're like, but they're a challenge. They're a problem. And the Holy Spirit's like, it's not like I don't know that. <laughs> Thanks you, thank you for letting me know how challenging things are, right? So what, here's a couple of biblical examples of God giving some direction. Acts 8, 29. The Spirit told Philip. So I'm just gonna let that sink in for a second. There was a, a, a famous... Uh, it's the guy who started CNN, and uh, he made a comment about some, some preacher. I forget who it was. But he said he was just mocking him because he goes, this guy actually thinks he hears from God. My question is, well, who do you hear from? <laughs> right? It's another story. The Spirit told Philip. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, it says, um, and before you were a believer, you're led away by mute idols. Mute mean, meaning, or dumb, meaning can't talk, not stupid. So God wants to talk to you. As a matter of fact, we heard that the Bible teaches Jesus is always talking to you. My sheep hear my voice, right? So it wasn't a Bible verse, though. He said, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
find me the scripture for that. It's not there. But he gave him direction. Here's another one, Acts 11. Right then, three men who had been sent, this is Peter, uh, getting ready to go to Cornelius' house. He said, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me. He says that, and it's so easy to miss. The Spirit told me. How did he tell you? (laughs) Right? That's the question I have. He goes on. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. So these guys show up. It's a supernatural thing. I won't get into the story. But he says he's waiting there, and he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do with the, with the revelation, this, this vision that he has. These guys knock on the door, said that, you know, their, their master sent them a couple of days ago to come get him. This was before he had the vision. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. And in this moment, he hears the Spirit of God somewhere inside of him internally. Go, don't hesitate. Just go with them. Can you, first of all, right after this, I mean, right before this had happened, Jesus had been crucified. The Roman government began to come after the Christians, and persecution was on them in a massive way, right? So this could have meant death to Peter. And yet Peter said, the Holy Spirit said, hey, man, I got this. Don't worry about it. Don't hesitate. Go do it, right? So give them direction. Here's another one, Acts 16, 6, and 7. This is an amazing one. It says, now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. How, how did that happen? It doesn't say. How, has, the, has the Spirit of God ever forbid you to do something? Right? One way you can find out, have I ever heard the Lord say, no, do not do that? I had a friend who said, we were getting ready, this is when the first Batman movie came out. Um, I was in Bible college in California. And I said, hey man, I'm going to go see the Batman movie because I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of comic books and all that. And he's like, nope, can't go with you. And I said, why? He said, because the Spirit of God told me I can't go see that movie. And I said, I'm a horrible Christian. <laughs> but what was nice is he said, but that may not be what the Spirit of God's telling you. That's an interesting thing, by the way. And, and there's a whole bunch of passages about how the Lord does that. What God may convict you, I'm not talking about clear, honest, you know, it's like the Spirit of God told me I can have adultery affair. That's, it's fine. You guys can't, but I can, right? No, he, he didn't do that. But there are certain things like eating meats that have been offered to idols. The Bible, the Bible says, Paul, he said, I'm convinced that doing that violates nothing because idols are nothing. They're just demons. And just because someone offered to that, it's like my God's way bigger than that. But he said, I choose not to eat it in front of people who think that way. Why? Because that's, that's love. Love is going, I, I'm free to do it, but you can't. So I'll just mock you and, you know, and, and, and shame you in, in, the, in the process. Now, eventually, I promise you, he had the conversation about whether that meat was actually offered to idols or not, right? But in the meantime, his conviction from the Holy Spirit wasn't this other person's. Interesting. So sometimes he'll prohibit, sometimes he'll encourage. encourage. But here's what happens. If you don't lean into the Spirit, you're never going to hear him say anything. You don't read scripture. He can't remind you of scripture. If you don't learn the character and nature of God, if you don't understand your identity, the Holy Spirit can never remind you of something Jesus has taught you because you, you were never taught. So you have to lean in. It's what discipleship is about. So here's another way is display the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we know what this is. This is uh, Galatians 5. He starts out with the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm just going to go through this quickly. Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh um, for the lust... Uh, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Why? Because they're contrary. The fruit of the spirit and the lust of the flesh, the works of the flesh are contrary. So Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. It's not like you don't know this is what he's saying. Listen to them. 
Um, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. I like how he ended that with, and the like. In case you're wondering, if it's like those others, don't do it, <laughs> right? That's a work of the flesh, don't do it. But isn't it interesting that almost every one of those, somewhere you find someone who's in the world justifying what they're doing. Maybe not murder, maybe we haven't got there that far, but I find it very interesting that what we're going after with, with our, our sexual identity being our identity, right? That's, that's the, it turns out that's got to be the biggest part of our identity. That's what our culture is saying right now. It's, it's what defines you is your sexuality, Right? So now we move from uh, things that were completely unacceptable just 10 years ago are not only acceptable now, but the government is for it, the culture is for it, medical associations are for it, and it's beginning to get frightening because of what it potentially is going to do to your authority as parents because the state wants to come in and say, we have more authority than you do as parents. So if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will, right? But here's what's fascinating about all this. These works of the flesh, they, they're, they're evident but not to the people who are living in them. They've given themselves over to some of this. So here's why I was bringing that up. Um, there was a study recently that, um, I, I, I could go back and find you the information, but you can find it online. There's a study recently where a journal of psychology that is reputable in that world had an article, approved an article that, that began to say, you know, maybe we need to rethink pedophilia. Because after all, they can't help it. So I'll look at that and go, let's see how that works if I find out about it. Right? One famous conservative said, um, you want to go down that road? He said, come to my house and try to get my kids. He goes, I'll meet you with a gun. And he goes, and that's a hill I'm going to die on. He said, first you're going to die, and then I'm going to die. <laughs> and I'm like, that's aggressive, Dave. That's kind of <laughs> Right? Well, when, when, when are we going to get aggressive? Right? When are we going to take a stand? So again, I'm, I'm not an advocate to just go beat people up for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is at some point they say, you almost also must do these things or, or you know, we're going to throw you out of the culture. We're going to take away your job. We're going to do all those things. And I look at that and go, at some point we have to stand up and go, that's a work of the flesh. I'm not going down that road. But, you know, it's interesting. Some of these are, you know, big ones. But look at this, um, idolatry, hatred. Right? These are almost acceptable sins and works of the flesh in Christian. Jealousy, outbursts of wrath. Like Paul's putting all these, what's the common denominator? And the answer is it's self. Right? It's all about me. It's all about selfish. So what about the fruit of the Spirit? This is interesting. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. What he's saying is the fruit of the Spirit, if you walk in the things of the Spirit, listen to that last line. It says, um, against these things there is no law. So if you, here's the big one is love. That's why it starts with love. If you are in the Spirit, if you are walking in the Spirit, your primary motivator is love. It's why you can be long-suffering. It's why you can be gentle. It's why you can do all these things. Why? Because you have a love that is not a natural love. This word is agape. That's the word that, that God uses to love us. It is unconditional love. Unconditional in the sense you don't have to give me, you don't have to do right for me or by me for me to love you. Understand the concept. So I'm not going to go through all these, but the point of all these ends up with self-control. So what is self-control? Self-control is just simply saying, you know what? What self wants to do, 
self's not going to do. You ever had this conversation? You ever had a conversation with yourself? There's a scripture that speaks to this. It says, where two or more of me are gathered, there am I in the midst of me. That's not a real scripture. I'm just saying, sometimes you feel schizophrenic, right? And you're like, uh, the thing I want to do, I, I'm not going to do, but I want to do it. But this thing, you start going, Romans, oh, that's in the Bible. Oh, somebody else had that challenge. Wow, yeah, it's like, it's almost as if, right, yourself wants what yourself wants. I want a donut, so I'm looking at them right now, and I wanna, I'm about to leave and go back and get one and just eat it while I finish the message, right? But because I have self-control, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't really want to do that. But here's, here's the issue is that it's not my self-control. It's I have submitted self to someone else, and I continue to submit self to that someone else. So because I love you, I'm not going to interrupt the message and go eat that donut, right? Because I love you, I'm not going to have an affair with your wife. You're welcome. <laughs> because I love you, I'm probably going to murder you, outbursts of wrath, all these things. Why? Because I love you. So I'm not going to do those things. Why? Because I'm walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. So how do you say no to the things of the flesh? Well, if you stay in the natural and you stay in the flesh all the time, you're never going to say no to the, to the natural and to the flesh. Why? Because that's where you're living. But if you begin to pursue the Spirit, if you begin to give time to Bible study and prayer and worship and the gathering of yourselves together and all the things that the Lord challenges us to do, what begins to happen is it begins to change. Galatians 5.24 says, And those, listen, those who are Christ, those who are in Christ, those who belong to Christ, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Who did it? Jesus, will you help me not sleep with my neighbor? <laughs> right? right? It sounds so spiritual when you say it that way. The Lord's like, well, just walk in the spirit, Dave. You'll be all right. Here's, let me give you an example. It's how you find yourself back under the law. You get up in the morning, you know, it's like I, I'm struggling with, you know, with my sexuality. And so I get up in the morning and I say, I get in the mirror and I go, Dave, do not sleep with anybody today except your wife, right? Do, just don't do it. Um, your flesh, your nature, and you're a good looking guy. So it's possible, you know, that's going to happen. So I, and then I'm driving and I look in the mirror as I'm going, Dave, do not sleep with anybody. Do not have an affair today. Whatever you do, don't do that. So I can spend all day focusing on the no. Or I can just love Karen. And that's the picture God's painting. You want to stop living in the natural, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You want the bad patterns of your life to fall away. How do you do it? You start walking into the Spirit. Give time to the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit love you. This morning, there's such a beautiful picture during our worship time. Hey, would you just receive... Thank you for loving God and telling him how much you love him. But the Lord's saying this morning, I just want to tell you how much I love you. And if you'll hear that and you'll receive that, that, that will do something inside of you that all of your praise will never do. Right? Nothing wrong with praise. So the last one is be empowered by the Spirit. Disciple making. Timothy 2.2 says something very interesting. It's four generations of believers. He said, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. So this is Paul talking to Timothy. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will teach others also. So what does that look like? It looks like that God has called us to mission. Part of the reason why he has empowered us and given us the, the gift of the Spirit, right? The gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The reason he's given us is to serve other people, right? It'll work with us. 
But it's much easier to minister to other people. So we can say, Lord, give me a word of knowledge for this person or that person. Lord, give me an encouraging word. Lord, let an act of kindness move them closer towards you. Whatever that looks like, the gifts of the Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is about serving other people. It's It's about serving brothers and sisters, but it's also in a big way about serving people who don't know the Lord. So let me just give you a couple of stories before I wrap this up and pray. So um, I was in, I've shared this before, so forgive me if you heard it, but I was in a, a restaurant in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, coming through, stopped. We were having uh, dinner with a pastor and uh, a friend, a pastor and his wife, and sit down to dinner. We're enjoying it. We hadn't seen them in a while. It's really, really good. And then the, the waitress walks up. She's dressed differently than the other waitresses, and so I thought, that's interesting, but whatever. And so as she starts talking, you know, she's getting her drink order. As she starts talking, I hear the Holy Spirit say, the Spirit told me. <laughs> she has a heart for un, young, unwed mothers. And I was like, you know, that was probably the, the tacos I ate as an appetizer. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, in, in my wildest dreams, was I driving that day and thought, you know, I just want to speak to somebody who just has a heart for unwed mothers. That's just what was in my mind that day. How ridiculous and stupid. Of course it wasn't. It was clearly God. So now I have to do something with that. And there are ways you can learn to walk in the Spirit where you can understand, like, like don't just say that because they're not ready for that kind of abruptness maybe. Sometimes it's helpful, but maybe position it a little bit and go, I have a revelation. Um, God's given me a revelation. Now what do I do with that and what does it mean? So do I share it or do I just pray with her? So I go after that and I felt like the Lord said, yeah, I want you to share it with her. So she comes back and I said, hey, before you walk away, I said, can I share something with you? She said, yeah. So I said, I was praying for you. So I I can do that in the South. If I was up in Yankee land, maybe that doesn't go so well, right? That's not normally part of the culture, maybe. Maybe some places it is, but I could say that. And I said, I was praying for you and I felt like God wanted me to share something with you. Is that okay? And she's looking at me going, uh, sure. Probably not the weirdest thing she heard that day. So I said, feel like God says you have a heart for unwed mothers, young unwed mothers. And she starts crying, instantly starts crying. And I was like, okay, probably right. So now what, right? Now we're at this place where she's crying and, you know, we're waiting on our our dinner. And uh, she starts confessing. She says, ah, I'm the manager here. She goes, we're short staff, so I'm waiting tables. And she goes, and I have, we have, we have three girls in our staff that are un, young, unwed mothers. And she said, and the policy says, I can't connect with them. I can't relate with them. I can't, I, I have, I can't do that. But my heart is broken for them, and I want to help, and I want to love them. And I'm like, but I'm afraid I might lose my job. So I said, I wonder why God would tell you that. And she just does the math in her head and says, you know what? Maybe policy is not as important as love. Right? And so she thanked me profusely before she left. I never found out whether she was a Christian or not. Didn't matter. I mean, I would, I, I would have loved to have the opportunity to lead her to Christ if she wasn't. But she accepted the relationship between the Heavenly Father and the gift and the heart of passion and com- compassion that she had for these unwed mothers, and she moved on it, right? So another time, I was driving my, uh, my cousin, who was a drunk, um, he was full on, full-blown alcoholic by the time he was 18 years old because he had a really, really bad, bad childhood. And uh, he'd come back. He'd, he'd lost his job. He was in a mess. He had a tooth that was abscessed. And he called me up, and he said, Dave, will you, um, will you take me to the dentist? And I said, sure. So 
Can't wait to spend time with you. So I go, get in, he gets in the car, and he brings a six-pack with him. I'm not even kidding when I say he brings a six-pack, puts it in the floor with him. He's already drunk. He smells. He's wasted. And we're driving, and I was, I'm praying the whole time internally, Lord, um, what in the whole world am I going to do with this guy? <laughs> right? I just, ah. So in the natural, there's nothing I can do. He's all kinds of broken. And so um, I'm praying internally. He's over there drinking on his way to the dentist, drunk and getting more drunk. And, uh, and I hear the Lord say, pull over here and pray for him to be healed. I was like, that's probably not God. Because the devil says to, stuff to me like that all the time, and I just ignore it. <laughs> right? See how dumb we can be? So I pull over, and it just so happened that I pulled over, and the next place I pulled over was a church. It was the church Karen and I got married in, the parking lot. And so I thought, that's interesting. So I pull over and just park, and he goes, what are you doing? I said, you know, I, just, I was praying for you, and I really feel like God wants me to pray for your, your uh, tooth to be healed. And he looks at me, stares at me like I'm the idiot, and says, whatever. So I put my hands on the steering wheel, and I pray out loud, obviously for him to heal. And I'm, I, I can feel the presence of God, and I pray, and I was like, whoo, so awesome, man. God's healing. Oh, it's going to be revival. And I finish my prayer, and I turn around and look at, me, look at him. He's staring at me like, you idiot, what are you doing? I was like, well, there we go. I was obedient. Don't know what else to do with that. So I said, well, I guess I'll take you on to the dentist. He's like, no, I want to go home. You're crazy. I was like, I'm the crazy. <laughs> anyway, so I take him home. A couple weeks later, he gets invited to a, uh, uh, by one of his friends at work to a revival. Says, will you take me there? And I said, I'll move heaven and earth to take you to a revival meeting, right? So I, I go pick him up again, brings, this time's like a 12-pack or a case or whatever, brings in because, you know, he's going to be talking to God, so he needs all the liquor he can get. So we puts it in there, and he's drinking on the way there. He, he smells like he slept in his clothes because he slept in his clothes, right? He stinks. He's, it's horrible. We go in. The guy preaches a message. It's his first sermon ever. He's like 18 years old. It's, it's the worst sermon I've ever heard except for my first sermon, which is far worse. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's like that was not eloquent at all. And then I'm, I'm standing there, and he gives the you know, invocation. He says, you know, altar call, come if you want to give your life to Jesus. And I'm like, ah, oh, Lord, would it be possible? So I looked over at his name's DeVoe. I said, DeVoe, um, do you want to go up front and at least get prayer? And he goes, absolutely, man, I'm ready. And he just takes, he leads. And I, and I have to follow him, chase him up there. He falls on the floor. He begins to cry out in repentance. The guy prays for him. He gives his life to Jesus, and I'm surprised, right? Shows how much faith I had. We get in the car as we were leaving. I'm blown away. We get in the car. We're driving away, and he's and he's take as we're getting ready to drive away. He still has his door open, and he's taking he's talking to me about God, and he's so excited. It's just like you know it's crazy. And he's as he's talking, he's dumping out this beer, one by one. He dumps them all out. Leaves, of course, he leaves the trash in my car. But you know whatever, we'll we'll grow him up. As we're driving, as I'm driving him home, he said, "I have to share something with you, man." I was like, "Okay." It's not like you haven't been sharing the whole time. He said, remember that time you pulled over in that parking lot and you prayed for me and my tooth? And I said, yeah. He said, when you prayed that prayer, I was instantly healed. He said, I had massive pain. He said, it was abscessed. It was swollen. And he said, I literally felt, he said, the pain went away instantly. And he said, and I felt the swelling start to go down in my mouth. And I said, why would you not tell me that? He goes, because you scared the living daylights out of me. He said, Dave, I was terrified of you. That's why I didn't talk to you for two weeks. I was terrified of you. He said, what kind of person has that kind of power? So here's the thing. 
I did not want to do that. Either one of them. Because what if I'm wrong? What if they ridicule me? What if they, do I really care so much about my reputation that I'm unwilling to follow after who Jesus says he is and says I am? And I want to challenge you. Are you walking in the Spirit? And if not, why not? I mean, how much fun is it walking in the flesh and just being miserable, no peace, no hope? How much fun is that? Fearful of everything that's on, on the television or what's happening in, you know, in Europe or any other place or the Middle East? You can have perfect peace. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. You can, you can have self-control. You can say no to the things that have been destroying your life. You can say no to the wrong relationships. But you have to make a decision that you are going to submit yourself Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. He said, those who are Christ's, they are the ones who say no to those things. And the only way you can say no to those things is because you said yes to something that when it's poured in the flask, it drives everything else away. Right? So I want to put a picture up here. I saw this in, I think it was Chicago or something. Some guy was on the street and he had a um, sandwich board. And on the front of it, People were walking by, they were mocking him because he was preaching. And it says on the front, I'm a fool for Christ. And I thought, that's cool, I am too, you know, that's cool. Maybe not as much as him today, but <laughs> any, any other day. And uh, we walked by him, and this is what it said on the back. So here's the thing I want to share with you this morning. You're going to serve somebody. There's a famous 60s rocker who wrote a whole song about that. You've got to serve somebody. It's not an option. You're going to serve the enemy. If you don't know Christ, you will give your whole life to the plan of the enemy. Did God really say you'll live your own life, you'll be like your own God, and you'll die in your sin? You can become a believer. You can have a new life, a new spirit come alive in you, a brand new heart. You can have that happen to you. And then what happened in the supernatural, you can push to the side and figure it out now that your great reason and logic is far more intelligent than the God of the universe, so therefore I'll just second guess everything he ever says to me, right? Or you can lean in and say, Lord, I don't understand it all. And that's kind of the point if we're honest, isn't it? That it turns out you don't know what you're doing. So you can submit yourself to Christ and say, Lord, I trust you, I believe in you, I believe your ways are better than my ways. I believe that loving people, even when they're challenging to love, is better than outbursts of wrath and all the other stuff that I'm wanting to do in my natural self. To forgive someone is not to trust someone, right? That's not the same thing. We've been taught that. It's not. But to forgive something, someone is something you can do. To trust something, someone is probably something they really should earn back, right? It's a different scenario. But to forgive someone is not what they're going to do because maybe they're dead. Maybe you have someone in your past that you've just never forgiven. And the Spirit of God is prompting you to say, you know what, I just need to forgive them. Maybe on Father's Day, your dad was not who he could have been. There's some brokenness in your heart about your father, and you've never let it go. He, he was supposed to represent God to you as a child. He didn't do a good job of that. And so you became all kinds of broken. And the Spirit of God is prompting you to say, hey, would you forgive him? Like, Lord, he's, he's dead and gone. I know. But it's not really about him, is it? Forgiveness is not about him. It's about you. Why? Because that's a, that's a work of the flesh not to forgive. 
Because it's selfish, and it's selfishly motivated. I get to be the victim forever. I get to excuse all the things that I've done or do. Why? Because if you knew how bad my life was, and every testimony of every disciple you see in the Scripture, their life was probably worse than you in so many ways, and yet they transitioned, began to walk in the Spirit, and they became heroes of the faith. So this morning, as, as we pray over you guys, will you do that? Will you choose because you're Christ, you have the ability to walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Obey the Spirit promptings. Walk in the, in, in the fruit of the Spirit. And, and part of that is focusing on the fruit and not the, fl- the, the works of the flesh, right? Stop watching the crap that you've been watching. Stop letting that stuff disciple you and get discipled by, by something from heaven, right? And then lastly, be on mission. God empowers you for mission to serve and bless and minister. I prayed for my, my cousin. Why? Because I wanted to, everybody to know how powerful what I was and what an amazing healer I was. No, because I loved him. My heart was broken for him because I had the heart of the Father. And when I prayed for him, God said, not a problem. Let's do this. It's powerful. So I want to just challenge us. Will you become a fool for Christ in whatever way that looks like? Whatever thing that's in your head saying that it's maybe not a good idea, Will you push back against that and lean into the things of the Spirit and go, Lord, I want you. I want who you are and who you say I am. And I'm willing to make some changes to repent, to take on a new mind, to think differently, and begin to put those thoughts into actions as I go into this week and the weeks to come. Would you do that? Would you forgive your dad or your mom or whoever, your kids? And then lastly, if you're a father here this morning, I felt this from the Lord, if you've feel like you've not done a good job as a father, which is probably every father in here, would you realize that what qualifies you to be a father is not you? It's the father who is in heaven. This is the only way for you to understand what a father is. Maybe you had a good representation with your natural father in the earth. Maybe you didn't. But the answer always is that is just a representation. Your heavenly father is perfect. And my wife shared before when we opened the service, He only has good gifts for you. We tell our kids, right now they're teaching this, God is in a good mood all the time. So will you let God, as a father, will you let him qualify you? Because that's what he did when he saved you, when he died on the cross, is he said, all the things that would keep you from being qualified, I have now given to you as a gift. But you have to receive it as a gift and stop trying to get something from God that he has already given you. Amen? Would you stand with me? Jesus, thank you so much, Lord. Um, When you were on earth, Lord, Hebrews says that we'd heard about God in times past in various different ways, through the prophets, through angels. And you said in the last days, you've chosen to reveal the Father through the Son. So Jesus, you walked as a as a man who was submitted to the Spirit. You walked in the Spirit as an example for us. And so, Lord, we want to follow after that. And first of all, thank you, Lord, that because you've saved us and given us a new heart and a new nature, Lord, you've given us now the ability to know you and to get to know you more. Thank you, Lord, that this is a journey, not an event, so I can keep coming boldly before the throne of grace for help in time of need. Lord, would you equip us to walk powerfully in your spirit, to see you manifest your gifts of the spirit in power and rescue broken, hurting people and bring them into the kingdom of your dear son. 
That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer this morning up here at the front, we would love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful, wonderful day. We'll see you next week.